Well, it's great. It's great to be with you uh, today. And uh, I, I go back a long ways with this church. Like I was, I was 24 years old. I, I did not grow up in the church at all. I was literally tricked into going to a Friday night service at King's Church back when it met in like a, they didn't even have a building. It met in a, in a gym, a school gym. And I walked in there with a bad attitude and uh, I heard the gospel. I encountered the presence of Jesus. I walked out of there and I've never been the same since. I really haven't. It just, uh, my life just changed at that moment. I know, I know in modern times, God's supposed to take like 30 years to, to work on a person and it can't happen in a minute. He didn't know that with me, okay? It was just, it was literally like a really, just uh, kind of a turnaround. And so today I do, uh, I do want to tell some stories. I want to read some scripture and tell some stories. I want to want, my book is rated PG. There's a lot of outreach story. I do a lot of work outside the church. So the book is uh, PG. It's pretty godly, but it's got some earthy parts in it, okay? <laughs> I did want to change all of the language and stuff of some of the characters uh, in there. So I'll be telling some of those stories today as part of the message and, and, uh, and, and some kind of newer stories as well. But I want to take us uh, just right back to the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. I want to talk about the gospel. I want to talk about just the, the sheer power of the gospel in our lives. And so in Acts chapter 2, this is, this is the big day. This is the birth of the church. It says, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, all the disciples. Suddenly there was a sound like a blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound uh, of all the, the people talking, they were, they were amazed. And they said, aren't those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears in our own language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappuccino. I always get that one wrong. I, was, I always get it wrong. Pontus, Asia, uh, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from, from Rome, uh, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? What does the gospel mean? Some, however, made fun of them. And they said they have had too much wine. You know what? There's always going to be skeptics. Jesus is going to work and there's always going to be somebody that says, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that. We just kind of have to get used to that. But I love what happens next. It says in verse 14, it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. And, uh, and the birth of the church happens out of that message when Peter speaks. So I wanna talk about, about the gospel. And the first thing, first thing I want us to think about is that the gospel is communal. The gospel is communal. They were all together in one place. 
I don't, I don't know all the ins and outs of why, but there, something powerful happens when, when a bunch of believers get together in one place and they're seeking God. That's why we come to church. There's stuff that God can do in our lives individually, but when we come together, it seems like God is able to do more. And so the gospel is, it's, it's not a, a solo sport. It's for all of us together. And, uh, and when we're waiting on God together, powerful things can happen. I was like a youth evangelist for like a gazillion years. It felt like that anyway. Like a lot of youth camps, a lot of stuff. And, it, and it, what always amazed me, it was like sometimes it would be half an hour after the service as a bunch of really serious people were just kind of waiting on God, we'd see breakthroughs, we'd see things happen. Sometimes it was just a group of people waiting. When we wait on the Lord together in community, there's a, there's a powerful thing that, that happens. And when, when God is ready to move and we've been waiting on him as a community, then we're ready to move too. And uh, I, I tend to do a lot of traveling. I tend to go like across the, the world I don't make a lot of difference between going across the world or going across the street. My wife, Colleen, knows everybody in our little town of Sussex. She, I literally, I think she's met every person there. She uh, has an incredible relational ministry where like the, the mission field is wherever she is. That's basically her attitude. So I've just gotten used to the fact that she might say, like, I'm going to the superstore. I'll be back in 10 minutes. Three hours later, she comes back with a story about like, a, I saw somebody kind of crying, you know, in among the vegetables. And so I went over and I, you know, and it, tur- it always turns into this big story. Uh, and she's really, really plugged in to, to the community. One day uh, she was looking, we, we live on one of those streets where you can just like wave to people for a long time and not really even know who they are. They're kind of neighbors, but not neighbors. And she realized there, the lady across the street, she goes for a walk at the same time every day. She was like, God just kind of said to her, you should walk with her. So the next day she just happened to come out of her house at the, our house at the same time as this lady uh, and said, hey, I noticed you like to walk. I like to walk, maybe we can walk together. And when you walk together, if you walk together and you're like two introverts and you're really silent, it's awkward, right? So when you walk together, you talk together and you start to share life. And we had no idea this lady was about to be diagnosed with, with a very aggressive form of cancer. And uh, Colleen was just like walking, talking, doing life with her. And then when she got diagnosed, uh, Colleen was the one that was kind of there to, to listen and to help her. And then when she couldn't walk anymore, uh, Colleen went to the house twice uh, a week and kind of visit it. And then when she couldn't take visitors anymore, Colleen would call her on the phone and they would just talk about life. And eventually they, you know, they kind of got around to talking about, about God. This lady had grown up in the church, but had wandered far away from her faith. And we, we ended up, it was a very aggressive disease. We ended up uh, going to her funeral very shortly after that. But the cool thing is she had reconnected with the God of her childhood before she died. So at the funeral, it was sad, but it wasn't totally sad for us because we knew where she was. And uh, the gospel is, it's all about community, right? It's all about us just kind of looking out the window, walking with people and uh, getting involved in their lives. It's, it's communal. In, uh, in verse number two, 
It says, suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And uh, the gospel is powerful. I think sometimes we, in church, we kind of get tamed down a little bit and, and we forget how powerful the gospel is. The gospel is, is, a, is a powerful thing. It can be a violent thing sometimes. You've probably heard the phrase that, that the Holy Spirit is always, a, is always a gentleman. I'm not so sure about that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit, you know, he, he has to move me a little bit. Uh, and I, I don't know if, you know, he's, I don't know if the Canadian version of the Holy Spirit, who, who like kind of, you know, can I come in? Oh, sorry. You know, I, I don't know. I think he's more like the hound of heaven. I was, I was in New York City. I spent about two, if I added up all the weeks that I've ministered in New York City, it's probably, it'd probably be like over two years. I was in New York City and I was volunteering with one of my favorite ministries there, which is the New York City Relief Bus. It's a big rolling soup kitchen that goes into different poor neighborhoods. Uh, and this particular morning, we were in Harlem. And they serve soup out of the bus. They, they give away Bibles. They do job placements. They pray for people. All kinds of stuff going on. Do you ever have one of those days when you, you're not feeling particularly spiritual? You know you're supposed to do something spiritual, but you wake up. And everything within you just wants to watch Netflix, right? That's the kind of, that's how I was feeling when I woke up. And, but I knew I had to go volunteer at the bus. And so I get to the bus and they're divvying out different tasks. And they're, and they're like, you, uh, you're working at the t-shirt table. And I was like, yes. All I have to do is like hold up secondhand t-shirts. Small, medium, large, you know. I, I can just kind of, I can kind of coast through the day. It's going, to be, it's going to be really easy. This is, just, this is just what I need today. So I'm standing there in Harlem, and I'm folding my T-shirts, and I see this guy come, uh, like, sauntering down the street, and he's kind of walking like a gangster. And so, you know, I'm, I, I'm kind of bored, so I'm watching him. He comes down, he goes up to the bus window, he gets two cups of soup, and then he starts to, like, walk back up the street. But all of a sudden, the two cups of soup, like, fly up into the air, he goes down into a roll on the ground and he comes up in a fighting position, right? And then, and so I'm watching this and then he like, he just, he just locks eyes on me. Like, and, I, and, I, and they don't teach you anything about this in Bible college. They just don't, okay? <laughs> Nothing. So he locks eyes at me and I'm looking at him. He runs full tilt towards me grabs me by the shirt. It's the only time this ever happened in my whole life. And he's, he's spitting in my face and he says, I need to get saved right away. Right? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, he's yelling, so I'm yelling. I'm like, do you even know what that means? <laughs> yes. My mom's Pentecostal. Her whole church is praying for me. So we're yelling back and forth. I yell him through the sinner's prayer. I yell him through. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know, amen. You know, you know we, like both, we both calm down. And he tells, me, he tells me his name is Cobra, which is a great name. If you're, if you're going to walk like that in Harlem, your name better be Cobra, right? He tells me his name is Cobra. And uh, he's like, yeah, his, my mom told me if they're good Christian people down at the bus, if you ever need help, go down there and 
and they'll help you out. And, and uh, so, you know, this is what he told me. I have no idea how to process this theologically. Uh, this is what he said. He said, I just came for the soup, man. I came for the soup, and your God took me down. That's what he said. And he said, he said, that's why I jumped up in a fighting position. But then I thought, God's too big for me. I should get saved instead. And then that's when he ran up to me, right? Hey, the logic was sound. The logic was sound. And so I introduced him to the people running the bus. You know, we get him a Bible. We're like, and I'm just, but he, he walks away. And I'm, I'm like, oh, God, was that real? Do people like, I know we pray for like, the Holy Spirit to touch people, but does he touch them like Chuck Norris? Like, you know, like does, is that part of the, is that how it happens? And so it's about, it's about eight months later, I'm back in New York City. I'm, I'm not at the t-shirt table, but I'm back at the bus. And I look over and I see this guy who looks vaguely familiar. And I'm like, Cobra? And he, he's like, well, I don't really go by that name anymore. You know, starting to clean himself up a bit. And, uh, and I, I talked to him, man, he's going to church, he's reading his Bible, he's still got some struggles, but I mean, he's, he's, he's praying, he's, he's a real Christian. It's the real deal, like the power of God, the power of the God, the gospel is, is a powerful thing, the gospel can, uh, it can, it can take us down, and uh, we just need to be reminded of that. Every once in a while, I just need my, I need to hear stories like that to kind of build up my faith. It goes on to say that uh, they saw tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Third thing is that the gospel is verbal. The gospel is verbal. There's a phrase floating around the church attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. It goes something like this, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. There's two problems with that. Number one, St. Francis never said it. Number two, it's stupid. It's stupid. Uh, this is the word of God. Jesus was the incarnate word of God. All of the disciples used words. Could you imagine having... Uh, Putting on a whole trial, you put witnesses on the stand, trying to get to the truth, and the witnesses get on. Like, it's important that witnesses have good character. If somebody has, like, a bad character, you don't believe them. But you don't put a witness up there and just have them sit there and everybody try to guess what the message is. What do you think? I don't know. I like his hair. Maybe this means that, you know. Like, it, witnesses have to speak. The gospel is verbal. And uh, we need to have those tongues of fire, don't we? We need God to inspire us and kind of light our tongues on fire and, and make, us, make us much bolder uh, than we are. You know, uh, in, in Acts chapter 2, it, it talks a lot about tongues. But over in Acts chapter 4, one of the signs of the Holy Spirit is, is boldness, speaking the word of God with great boldness. And, and the gospel is... Uh, is a verbal thing. God-inspired God words is, is what we need. And it's, it's a natural thing. When God does good stuff in our life, we almost can't help but, but speak about it. So I've, I had a, uh, last year I had this uh, student who was fairly introverted. 
and uh, he, he had something wrong with his leg, and some of the, some of the guys at the Kingswood dorm uh, were, they, they prayed over his leg, and his leg, his leg got healed, and it was a real tangible thing. It wasn't like it was a little sore, and then it got a little better. He was like really healed, and so because of that, he got really excited about Jesus, and he really felt like God was calling him to start praying for other people to be healed. And so he started just, you know, he started small and he started approaching people that uh, had issues and he, he, would, he would ask if he could pray with them. And he, and he saw like four or five successes in a row. And, uh, and so he was kind of developing this gift of healing. And we were, we were at a place called uh, Westmoreland and uh, we were doing like a little church service there. And uh, there was a guy there, his, name, his nickname is Tunes because he really likes music. He, he's a drummer, and he was, he was playing drums for us and helping us out with the sound system and stuff. And I noticed he kind of looked in pain. And so, so I, said to, I said to him, like, is something bothering you? And he's like, yeah, I don't know what's wrong, man, but I can't raise my arms, like, above this. I, I have this shooting pain if I raise my arms, you know, above my shoulders. And, and one of the other students that was with me said, well, you should, we should get Nathan to pray for him because Nathan's seen some people healed lately. And Toons seemed pretty open to this, so we called Nathan over, and, and uh, Toons described what was going on, and then Nathan prayed for him, said, how do you feel? Do you feel any better? Toons was like, no, <laughs> which I don't know about you. I, I always find that a little discouraging. <laughs> Nathan was persistent. Can I, can I pray again? Knock yourself out. I, I wasn't sensing a lot of faith there, but he's like, he was cooperating, like knock yourself out. So it was like, Prayed again? You feel, you feel any better? He goes, no, not really. Now, at that point, I might have given up and started to theologically back out of the, well, you know, God loves us, you know, like, so back out of it, you know, with, with nice spiritual words. Nathan said, can I pray with you one more time? And Toons was like, so Nathan prays the exact same prayer, the same words, for the third time. And this is what I saw. I saw, he, he didn't say anything. I just saw tunes start to do this. It was like Pete Townsend doing the windmill with his guitar. Like, he was like, and, and he got this great, what I call a great big dumb, like, Holy Ghost smile on his face, right? And he started... He started like running around the sanctuary, just like grabbing anybody. And this is what he was saying. He was, he was saying, Nathan healed me. <laughs> now, Nathan's taken a few theology classes, and so he didn't want to like get any credit where credit wasn't due. So he's yelling across the room, it wasn't me, it was Jesus, right? And, like, <laughs> and so it's this chaotic scene, but... But literally, like, for the next 20 minutes, this guy is just, he's just, he's walking around, <laughs> and, he's, and he's telling everybody. See, that's the good news. When God does something real in our life, we can't help but share it, right? And it, it becomes verbal. When we really experience God, it, it's, it becomes verbal, and it goes out there. And so, so we just need, to, we just need to, to let it out. The gospel is verbal. In verses 5 to 11, it says, it talks about all the people that were, that were uh, in Jerusalem 
and and uh, just the the gospel just kind of goes viral at this point because because all of them are experiencing God. They're all seeing something that they that they can't explain, and the the gospel. Uh, they're they're amazed and they're perplexed, and they're trying to figure out what does this mean. We need to know what this what this really means. And Peter explains it to them afterwards. But but the gospel is. The gospel is viral. It's for everyone. It's for everybody in every culture. And, uh, and it, it is not to be contained. That's how the church went from like 120 to millions within, within, the, first, within the first century that it was in existence. It was just like Christians telling other people, other ordinary people, what God had done uh, in their life. I was... Uh, a couple of months ago, I was, I was down in Honduras uh, doing a missions trip down there. And one of the, uh, one of the places we were able to go was, it was a prison. We were supposed to go into the prison to, to just kind of do a little devotional, play soccer with these guys. Honduras is, is uh, overrun by gangs. All of, the, all of the surrounding countries have cracked down on gangs in Central America. So all of the headquarters of all the, of all the gangs are now in Honduras. And, uh, and some of the gangs have a really interesting, uh, they, they have a, a built-in respect for Jesus because it's a Catholic country. And uh, they, have this, they have this rule called blood in, blood out. If you want to get into a gang, what you have to do is shed somebody's blood. And the only way for you to get out of that gang is for your blood to be shed. Some of the gangs have one exception to that rule. Some of the gangs, because they kind of get the gospel, some of the gangs will count Jesus' blood for your blood if you want out. If you want out, if you want to not be in their gang and you really want to be in Jesus' gang, they will let you out counting the blood of Jesus for you. But you better be serious about it. Because this really ups discipleship. Because it's kind of like, you better be serious about Jesus or I'll kill you. It's that kind of, that's their method, right? And uh, I was working with a guy named Cesar. Cesar, is a, he's an awesome Christian. In the, and uh, I met him in a church down there. And he's, uh, he still has his tats. He's, he was like in a gang and he still has, he still has the tattoos on his body. But, but he's a Christian now and he's out of the gang. And we were supposed to go into this prison uh, to, to go and, and just play football or soccer with, these, uh, with this gang. And, and when, we, when we went to go, there was some government red tape, and we just had to literally sit at a gas station for two hours waiting to get the go-ahead. And so by the time we actually, they actually said you're allowed to go into the prison, it was time when we were supposed to leave. But we just went to the prison anyway. And when we got there, they were, they were really nice, and they said, well... The guys are all in the mess hall eating their food. Why don't you go in and eat with them? This wasn't supposed to happen, but we went into the mess hall and we were, we were, we were eating with them and kind of breaking the, breaking the ice a little bit. And uh, we, had, we had translators with us and some of them spoke English. And then one of the guards in there was really nice. And he said, I noticed that you have guitars and a, and a drum with you. Uh, why, don't you why don't you sing some songs and do a motivational speech for these guys? And I was like, I can do a motivational speech, you know. And 
So suddenly we got like 40 guys in the mess hall. They've done their food. They've got to be there for another half an hour. Suddenly we're having this impromptu church service with them. And uh, man, I, I, I get up with the translator kind of at the end. And I don't know what any of the rules of the prison are or anything. I just know I got guys staring at me that look like they need a new life. And, uh, and so I just presented the gospel through the translator and said, uh, if, you, if you want the life that Jesus has for you, you know, kind of like lift your hand. And so like 14 guys lifted their hand. And I said, like, pray this prayer with me. And, uh, and they prayed the prayer with me. And then I was, I was kind of tag teaming. Like, I didn't know what to do after that point. But Cesar, who the former gang member, who shouldn't even have been allowed in the prison, actually, uh, but got in anyway, he, he came up and, and he basically said to the guys, I'm really glad you prayed that prayer, but if you're, if you're serious about doing this, you have to do it in front of everybody. You have to do it in front of all your brothers. So if you really meant that prayer, come and stand right here, right now with me, declaring that you're no longer a part of this gang, you're part of Jesus' gang. And all 14 guys stood up, walked to the front, and he proceeded to do, uh, he spoke very quick Spanish, proceeded to do like 20 minutes of discipleship with them, I think. And then we went and we, and we played soccer. But the whole time we were playing soccer, it was like the the Holy Spirit was hanging thick on that field. Like you could just, you could feel God's presence. And uh, that's the gospel going viral. When Cesar was a gang member and he was in prison, somebody came in and told him about Jesus. And he gave his life to Jesus. And then he was doing that exact same thing for those 14 guys. And it was going to multiply out through the gangs and through the prison system, the it's an awesome thing when, when the gospel goes viral. And uh, that's the, one of the exciting things about having been kind of in and out of Kings for so long and seeing it in all different areas uh, of, of growth is, is I really believe that the gospel is going viral in this area. I really believe that. And uh, I, I believe that this is just the beginning of what, what God is going to do. The gospel is viral. And then finally, the gospel is transformational. It's transformational. Some, however, made fun of them. But Peter stood up with the 11 and he raised his voice and he just told, he told them all about Jesus. And uh, 3,000 people were transformed that day. There's, there's, a, there's a guy I've been ministering to for about the last year and a half uh, up in Dorchester Prison. I go to prison pretty regularly. I always come out. Um, <laughs> when, when our youngest girl, Emily, uh, when she was really little, my, I, we go on a Tuesday night uh, about once a month, and uh, Colleen heard, heard Emily answering the phone in the next room. It was a Tuesday night. My dad, no, he's not here. He's in jail. Okay, bye. You know. <laughs> Who knows, right? Uh, but she just thought was, uh, everybody's dad goes to jail on Tuesday night. But, but I've, been, I've been going up to Dorchester, and there's this, there's this one, there's one gentleman there, and he is literally, you want to talk about transformation? 
He is literally, I've never seen somebody change so much in the last year and a half. When he first walked into the chapel, we've been doing these chapels for a while. We go in and we hang with the guys and we do, we do skits and music and, and stuff and pray with them, do lots of one-on-one -on -one time with them, go on a regular basis so that we know that we really care where they're in it for the long haul. And uh, one, one night, this... One night, this really big, tall, scary-looking guy with tattoos all over his face walked into chapel. And, it, and you could see the other prisoners were kind of going like, what's he doing here? I can't use his real name. We'll just call him, we'll call him Joe. So uh, one, of my, one of my students, their prayer life shot up that night because they looked over and they saw Joe in the doorway and they started praying, Lord, do not let him sit next to me. Do not let him sit so you know what happened, right? Joe came right over and said, you know, they formed a, they formed a, a friendship. <laughs> to this day, they still have the friendship. But uh, he just started coming out to chapel, and the gospel started to go in. And then uh, a couple of months in, he, I, I arrive at the chapel, and he goes like, hey, man, guess what? I'm a Christian. This guy's like a former uh, biker from Montreal. He's like, I'm a Christian now. I'm like, I'm great, awesome. And he goes, can I, like, say something to the guys about that? Can I share a testimony, like, before you guys start? And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. He gets up. He talks for five minutes. He drops the F-bomb ten times <laughs> in his testimony. And he doesn't even know. He's so rough that he doesn't know that that could be an issue somewhere. And so <laughs> I'm like, this is the best testimony we can never tell anybody about. But as we, can, as we just keep going back, like the change in him is, is amazing. He brought me, like this year he brought me, he has a notebook. He's doing his own Bible studies. And he brought me like five Hillroy notebooks full of, like he's, he's doing his own. He reads the Bible and he makes all his own notes. And he says things like this. He says, he says you know, prison isn't even prison for me anymore. Prison's my Bible college. The government's paying me to study the Bible. I just sit in my cell every day and study the Bible. And he's starting to see himself as, as a, a chaplain. All of the prisoners that used to be afraid of him are now kind of like coming to him when they have hard times and getting his advice. And he's like an unofficial pastor in the prison. And he's got all these crazy tattoos that he's reinterpreted, okay? Um, so, so, yeah, on his forehead, he has like three tattoos. Uh, teardrops, which I think he means, means he killed three people. But he has FTW, big letters on his forehead, which I think used to mean like, <clears throat> the world, right? That was his attitude. And now he goes like, do you know what this stands for? Faith the word. Like he's reinterpreted <laughs> all his tattoos now. He has, on, his, on his knuckles, he has ACMD, all cops must die. And now it's like, all Christians must disciple. Like that's sort of the, the, and he's, and it's, I just, I, I, I love going into talk because I don't know what he's going to say next. I've never seen somebody change as much as this guy. And uh, it's, it's been amazing. It's been, been amazing to watch. And uh, when they ask, like, what does this mean? That's what the gospel, that's what it means. It means transformation. It means, that, it means that 
that God can take us and by the power of his Holy Spirit, that he can change us into a whole different person. And there's always going to be people that mock. There's always going to be people that, that laugh. But I think we need to be like Peter because Peter, in the midst of all that that was going on, Peter, he kind of, he kind of, he stood up and he kind of stepped out from the crowd and he raised his voice and he said, let me tell you, let me tell you about Jesus. And I'm totally convinced of this. I'm convinced that if we, if we present a weak gospel, like if we, if we uh, preach the gospel in, in, a, in a weak way, that people tend to, God doesn't back it up and people just kind of respond to it indifferently. And there's a lot of that, you know, kind of going on in our culture. But I'm, I'm 100% just convinced that if we preach the gospel boldly, if we just tell people who Jesus really is and what he can really do, and we really believe it in our heart, and we preach it with the boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit, that, that God will honor that and God will back that up, and people will respond decisively. And I've seen that over and over and over again. And so God, God works in unusual ways and in unusual places, and he uses unusual people like us. He wants to use each and every one of us. I'm not exactly sure where, where you're at today uh, in, your, in your walk. It may be that you're, you're here and, and it's kind of like, Man, I, I've never really responded to the gospel, and I need to do that. I need to let Jesus come in and really transform my life. Or it might be that you're here, as a lot of us are, as Christians, and, and you're kind of wondering, can God use me? What does God want to do with me? And uh, what I would say to you is that, is that God wants to use every single one of us. And that he's got... He's got people that I won't be able to reach, that you can reach. And he's got people that, you know, uh, kind of vice versa, that you might not be able to reach, but that for some reason, they might connect with me. And so God calls all of us just to, to step out and, uh, and to speak the gospel boldly to our friends and our neighbors and our, and our cultures. And I'm, I'm convinced, I'm convinced that... Uh, that the best is yet to come and that we are going to see God do amazing things.